Welcome to the National Trust podcast. I'm James Grasby, and I'm a curator with the National Trust with a portfolio of houses in Herefordshire and Worcestershire. And the daily life of a curator is looking after things as diverse as library ladders and portraits. These places are knowledgeable witnesses, if you like, to things that have been seen and heard by them. And in this group of podcasts, we'll be delving into the stories, plays, books and characters that make each of these places so special. So join me on this journey and immerse yourself in the wonders of the National Trust. I'm headed towards the home of one of the most famous, most photographed and most quoted men in the world. A man who's hard to categorise, a, a politician, a philosopher, and most notably a playwright, ranked second only to Shakespeare. There's even an expression, Shavian, to describe Shaw's attitude to so many things, socialism, feminism, pacifism, intellectual life, the value of culture, which is a real indicator, an index of his contribution. And here, set in the tranquil greenery of Hertfordshire, sits the old rectory where he spent the last 40 years of his life. In this episode, we'll be exploring this beautiful arts and crafts home and learning about the man and his masterpieces through the spaces, books and objects that he surrounded himself with. Walking down this lane towards Shaw's Corner, I'm not at all surprised that the Shaws chose this place as their escape from London. It is tranquil and beautiful. I mean, it's a particularly sunny morning, and already the holly berries have turned red and gorgeous. It's a sensational place, with a wrought iron gate with the words Shaw's Corner um, in large letters. Before moving here, Shaw was living a busy life in London. He'd established himself as one of the most celebrated writers, and he was an active Fabian politician. To get a sense of his life before moving here, here's Fiona Hall, the visitor experience manager at Shaw's Corner, together with Michael Friend, a theatre producer who works with the Trust, to give a quick rundown of Shaw's life before Shaw's Corner. George Bernard Shaw is a playwright. He's a very famous playwright at the start of the 20th century. He was born in the 19th century, but he's most well known for his plays kind of between the war years. He'd been living in Dublin, come over from Ireland when he was 20 and struggled to make a living. He knew he wanted to write and then he started being offered things like come and write a music criticism for a small magazine, and it grew from that. He then, because of his interest in theatre and what theatre could tell you about society, he decided plays were going to be his scene. To me, Teddy is nothing, and Georgina less than nothing. And his plays have, a, have an interesting kind of historical, socialist, political background to them, so he was often trying to make a larger point with his plays. I think the breakthrough came when he had a play which was on, put on in London and the King came to see it. And the King enjoyed it so much. And of course, that, once people heard all about that, they started you know, coming to Shaw's plays. He really became a mega personality. He's kind of like the Stephen Fry of his day. So he was a person that was commenting on lots of things. If he'd had Twitter in his day, he probably would have been tweeting. He was often on the radio, he did quite a lot of world tours. He lived into his 90s 
and never stopped writing. But of course, the plays were only one aspect. He was hugely influential in quite a number of ways. People would hear him speaking about things of the day, making challenging, provocative comments about things. He was, once he became famous, looked upon as the expert on anything. So he really was a colossus. I'm walking up the gravel drive towards the house under a canopy of copper beech and yew. And here is a really very pretty brick-built arts and crafts house. Quite a modest affair, really. Two storeys and with a magnificent climbing hydrangea on this elevation. It's the house of a man who wrote, what, 60-plus plays, 250,000 letters or something. Originated a lot of them within this place. Before I visited, actually, I went onto the National Trust website and saw a very interesting bit of film from 1946, I think, black-and-white film, Pathé Newsreel, of Shaw here. And seeing this place again, I feel the ghost of him. I can, I can see him here. Hello. Welcome. Come How on do in. you do? I'm James Grasby. Hello. I'm Sue Morgan, house manager here. Do Sue, I'm very pleased to meet you. Tea. We've walked into the kitchen, which is a little bit of time travel. A two-colour scheme, a cream and a sort of warm, earthy brown, with a fire going, a coal-burning grate, with a great big oven and a water boiler and some hot plates on top. It was George Bernard Shaw hands-on with a pan. Oh, and first of all, stop you with the George, OK? Because he didn't call himself George Bernard Shaw, he called himself Bernard Shaw. So you'll see in his signature, the G is dropped. But here, when they moved into Shaw's Corner, they had a housekeeper, a, a couple, a housekeeper and her husband, who was like gardener and then, you know, driver, handyman and things. Mr and Mrs Higgs. Obviously, this is the kitchen where his vegetarian food would have been prepped. He was a vegetarian. He was indeed a very early vegetarian. He felt as though, you know, the energy from eating live food from the garden was much more nourishing than eating dead corpses. His words. <laughs> Sue, why did Shaw choose this house, this village in particular? Well, he'd been living in Hertfordshire, renting, you know, another house and found this area particularly convenient for getting in and out of London because, of course, he still kept a flat in Theatreland in London. And why this house? Well, it really amused him that him, the renowned atheist, was going to move into the rectory. So neither of them were very, you know, enamoured of the house, but that's not what they were looking for, you know. They were looking for just somewhere where they could have tranquility for him to write and just, you know, generally get on with their lives, really. As you come in, perhaps you didn't see this wonderful piece of William Morris fabric. William Morris, who was the writer, craftsman, developer of all the beautiful designs that many of us, you know, still surround ourselves with. Shaw said that it was through William Morris that he got started. So he'd been writing novels, but they hadn't been published, but he managed to get one called An Unsocial Socialist published in serial form. 
and William Morris read it and got in touch with him and invited him to join in the Hammersmith Socialist League and the Pre-Raphaelites, the arts and crafts movement that was meeting there. So Shaw immediately is launched into this amazing group of writers, artists, craftspeople. So this curtain here really symbolises for Shaw, you know, his start with William Morris. And the piano was designed by Walter Cave, who is Secretary of the Arts and Crafts Workers' Union. And Shaw was self-taught on the piano. It was a real source of nourishment throughout his life. And several visitors would comment on the fact that he would, you know, sing the ring cycle from one end to, to the other, <laughs> singing all the parts, playing along. And, you know, what a merry sort of house it was, full of music. So this is the dining room. It's not grand, it's very simple, an oak table and four very straightforward chairs. A radio, a gramophone, a little sofa, a few pictures. But it was an absolute hothouse for fun and frivolity and discussion. Yes, ideas, concepts, plans, projects. So it's easy to imagine here Lawrence of Arabia sitting at the table and absolute Cherry Garrard, who went to the pole with Scott, sitting around talking about art, exploration, you know, so many different things. But you can imagine the kind of atmosphere that there was in this room. You can see that we've got some very interesting characters on the mantelpiece. Gandhi there at the beginning, who sets a good tone because, of course, he was like peaceful resistance. The next is Dajinsky, one of the earliest revolutionaries who ends up with a much, very unsavoury job as chief of police in the Soviet Union. Lenin and then Stalin. Shaw truly believed in socialism as the way to make the world a better place, as did many of the intellectual elite at the time. On the right is his birthplace in Sing Street in Dublin. And you'll recognise with whiskers on the right is old Ibsen. Shaw championed Ibsen's work. Because he, he was the first writer who put the personal on the stage. And the whole issue of the new women and women's rights that Shaw was, that's what he was writing about in Pygmalion, well, in all his plays, but Pygmalion perhaps the most well known. Pygmalion was about the flower girl who was selling flowers outside Covent Garden. She was there when the opera turned out and the very rich gentry were waiting for taxis to go home, when the professor of phonetics, Higgins, overhears her and thinks her accent wonderful and makes his notes about it, and then realises that there's another phonetics expert standing right next to him and they have the bet that they will pass her off as a duchess yeah, within six months. It's absolutely hilarious. He wrote that play here. After Shaw had died, that was made into the musical My Fair Lady, which um, still is still performed all over the world today. And in this box over here, if you'd like to put some gloves on, you can unwrap this for us. My goodness. An Oscar. For writing screenplay of Pygmalion. And it looks quite worn, as if it was... <laughs> well, he used it as a doorstop. <laughs> of course, Shaw had little time for such nonsense. Yes, yes. Let's go upstairs and have a look at his bedroom. 
What we have here is Shaw's bedroom and here's Charlotte's bedroom next door. I mean, that does say something about their married life and their relationship. It certainly suggested that the marriage wasn't consummated. It was more about work and about the joining together of two energies to create something really big and important that would change the world. Where Charlotte was a suffragist, a great benefactor and a supporter of the arts and was a very talented and busy and gifted woman in her, in her own right. Yes, absolutely, she was. The Shaw Library at London School of Economics, for example, is Charlotte Shaw's library. It's not Bernard Shaw's. So we can see her influence all over the place. But yes, she very much was the gatekeeper, in a sense, while she was here to keep people away from Shaw, you know, looking at who was getting close to him. And then she also looked at writing out and typing up some of his scripts, helping with his office work and, and things like that, really, yeah. But they spoke a lot, you know, they were very close, you can see that. OK, so we're now in the storeroom, and here we've got this wonderful birthday book which contains handwritten messages to Shaw. I'm looking for Einstein, he's in here somewhere. It's an inch and a half thick with letters from some of the great... I mean, some of the truly great people, not only of the era, but of, oh, yeah. but of the modern period, really. Absolutely. I mean, culminating with one from Albert Einstein. Yeah. He had a huge influence. You've opened up a beautiful, I think it's a cylinder box, and there we have it, a sort of full-scap-sized, leather-bound book with the um, initials BS in the front, beautifully tooled. Blue leather with gold on it. My goodness, you've opened it. George Bernard Shaw, 1925. There it is, the Nobel Prize for Literature. This was for his huge body of work. It says in there that it has great humanity, but also it's infused throughout with great poetic beauty. Oh, what a wonderful tour of the house. And we've come out through a sort of back door from their kitchen onto a lawn. Shaw wanted his house to be left as a living shrine and one of the ways we do that is through having outdoor theatre here. Come with me to and so in the background you can hear the actors prepping to give their performance. Come right down to the Cape if you like. That will be a declaration of independence with a vengeance. I'm Jonas, Jonas Kem. I perform at Shaw's Corner every year for the past ten years. In my father's place by his own wish. Nobody could say a word against our travelling together. Hi, I'm Lainey Shaw, I'm an actor. How lovely to have two actors here performing at Shaw's Corner, the place where he wrote a lot of these words. What's it, what does it feel like for you? Oh, it's lovely, it's really, it's such a beautiful place. And to read his words and to, to know that this is where he created them. Coming on stage through the porch here onto the terrace when you're performing in a play is always quite daunting because Gandhi and all manner of people have walked through that door there so you're following in the footsteps of giants and then you're coming on to perform the lines that he wrote upstairs or in there and you often feel like his spirit might be watching you so you really feel the pressure to have a good performance when you're performing at Shaw's Corner. It's a big responsibility you have as an actor in getting into the character. How do you go about doing that with Shaw? What's peculiar to Shaw's characters that you found? Oh, they're so varied. Yeah. And, and I think that's what's wonderful. Also, Shaw often will give you a massive description, a physical description. Mm -hmm. um, oh, and uh, yeah, His stage directions are something to be seen. Yeah. <laughs> really? Pages Unusually and pages so. of description. 
the audience are very receptive. Every year I've been doing it here and they, they love it more and more, even the obscure ones that they've never heard of because he's always relevant. We did The Millionaires a good few years ago, right in the middle of the banking crisis. Ooh, and one of the lines that opened Act 2, never put your money in a bank, to which the audience laughed for about five minutes. We had to really wait for them to calm down. And that happened every time I'm in a short place, something can be picked at that's relevant to today. OK, let's walk down to the writing hut then. This was the space where he'd come to every morning to work. Every morning that he was here, that is. Sometimes they'd call it London. So if people came to the house to talk to him, they could say he was in London. Oh, my word. Look at that. Look at that. Very simple. I mean, it's basically a little potting shed. I mean, it can only be about six feet square. Painted black with two little windows in the front and a glazed door. And inside I can see the most magnificent typewriter. So it does look very simple, doesn't it? But it's got a bit of a secret. Perhaps you'd like to push at the end. Are you serious? Oh, I'm serious. Push, push hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's turning. A pivoted writing hut. Look at that. So you could line it up with the, with the sunshine. <laughs> I need one of these. I must have one of these. It's a garden shed spinning <laughs> on a little turntable. That is just wonderful genius. I can imagine him secreting himself away. And this is where most of his creative work was done when he was here. When he died, his ashes were mixed with Charlotte's and they're scattered all around the garden, around right in her. So he and his wife have actually become part of this place. Yes, they are indeed. Now, Shaw said, life's no brief candle for me. It's a sort of splendid torch that I've got hold of for the moment and I want to make it burn as bright as it can for I want to be thoroughly used up when I die. The harder the work, the more I live. And he wanted to leave a lasting legacy and he wanted to change the world. Many people have spoken and, you know, written about the inequalities of the way the world is, but, you know, Shaw made everybody laugh at the same time. He was very straight-speaking. He said things with humour that perhaps he would not have got away with if it had been without humour. During his lifetime, he t talked with the National Trust about the possibility... I know he was a member of the National Trust with Charlotte. Oh, yes. Uh, but he talked about the possibility of giving the house after his death to the Trust for, for Preservation in Perpetuity. Oh, yes, indeed. In 1943, so seven years before he died, you know, he approached the Trust and, you know, talked about how it was going to look and what else he would bring up from London. And, yeah, was very happy for them to have it. What a fabulous day. Found a very cool spot. It's been unseasonally warm here, and just looking back at the house as the sun goes down. I mean, this is the house of a self-taught, feminist, 
political activist, Oscar-winning, vegetarian, piano-playing, Nobel Prize-winning, intellectual celebrity. I mean, my goodness, and a wordsmith. What a breadth of experiences and contributions Shaw has made and the fascinating Charlotte. It was a good reminder, too, to meet those stunning actors performing Shaw's work here in the place where a lot of that material was written. I hope you've enjoyed this very special place as much as I have, and I do recommend you visit. It's a sensational experience. Thanks for listening to this episode of the National Trust podcast. For more information about Shaw's Corner, you can visit their website at nationaltrust.org.uk forward slash Shaw's Corner. In the next episode, I'll be exploring Wordsworth's Cumbrian Houses. That episode will be available in a couple of weeks, but there will be a mini-episode available next week where we'll be hearing more about how Shaw's literary legacy is celebrated and preserved at Shaw's Corner through plays and performance on location. To make sure you never miss another episode, subscribe on iTunes or your chosen podcast app. And please do let us know what you thought of this episode or share your suggestions for future episodes on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. You can also email us at podcasts at nationaltrust.org.uk. Until the next time from me, James Grasby, goodbye.